Hey everybody, this is Yvette and Erica, and this is the Melon and Pearls Podcast. Hey everybody. Season two. E7, episode seven. Can you believe it? I can't. <laughs> but here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So this episode, everybody, is titled Women Game Changers. You know, it's Women's History Month, and you know, when we think about strong black female role models, women who raise the bar who are that black girl magic every single day, women we look up to. Your minds probably immediately, like mine, automatically go to Michelle Obama, Serena Williams, Beyonce. But these contemporary icons are far from the first influential black women in history who made lasting change in the United States. You know, black women, we are laden with a doubling of oppressions from sexism and racism and often compounded by other factors such as class differences, sexuality and or, you know, any type of disability. Despite the social structures that have put us at a disadvantage, we historically have risen to the challenge. Just like my Angelou says, still we rise. Mm -hmm. You know, our history of strength begins with African-American leaders such as Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth, who worked ardently against slavery and became icons in the history of emancipation. They were followed by activists and education leaders such as Mary McLoone Bethune and Mary Church Terrell. Other women like Billie Holiday, shout out to her movie that's out there. It's, it, it's crazy. It is fantastic. Well, it's fantastic. So Billie Holiday and Gwendolyn Brooks, you know, they use their art as a way to proclamate change. So during this episode, Eric and I are going to look at several black women, activists, educators, and artists who have used their influence to work and create a more just society for us women. They will never, ever meet, but we're determined to make it better for. So it's Women's History Month. It's a time to honor the women who paved the way and inspire our history Get it? Her story, you know, <laughs> yeah. the her story maker in all of us. Yet, you know, these women and their contributions that they made and their ambitions, their goals and challenges that they wrestled with still today remain by large absent from media coverage. So we're going to write this wrong. And today we're going to change that. This episode is all about shining a spotlight on a few of the many unsung black women, game changers. So Erica, enlighten us today who you got absolutely absolutely before i go to my first person i just want to i love the intro i thought that was i just succinct and it just kind of captured everything one thing i wanted to add just related to color around this down around your introduction is you know the, these are women who planted a seed true right? true true these are trailblazing women that we benefit from their bravery from their fearlessness just from their uh, their their desire to just succeed and make it better and make it better for, right? for people they'll never ever meet exactly which exactly what i want girl get <laughs> in my head so there's a there's a quote that um i read i think it was lynn manuel miranda that mentioned this in, in hamilton or one of the hamilton remixes i don't recall but the quote is legacy what is a legacy it's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. Oh, isn't that mm, mm, isn't that something? Mm, so these mm, are mm. women that may or may not have gotten the opportunity to see the flowers in that garden, so to speak. But they are amazing women. And let's get started. Let, okay, let me, let's right. just start. Ooh, preach, preach, so preach. So the first person I have is Althea Gibson. Mm. 
1956, she became the first African-American to win a Grand Slam title. She won the French championships. And in 1957, she won both Wimbledon and what was called at the time the U.S. Nationals, which is a precursor to the U.S. Open. Mm. Amaze, right? Amaze, maze, 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 maze. And what do you you have on your list? So I... I'm a science geek. I'm a sci-fi girl. Um, for those who don't know, now you know. Um, I love the movie Hidden Figures and Katherine Johnson. You know, I never really knew how much math goes into space. I always thought about those computers, you know, yada, 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 you know, from all those sci-fi movies. But as we know from Hidden Figures, she was one of NASA's brightest computers. And she intricately calculated the trajectory of the 1969 Apollo 11 mission to the moon. So what that does that mean? It means that it was a black woman that literally put a man on the moon. Indeed. You know, and I love this quote that she says. It's like, we will always have STEM with us. And STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, some things will drop out of the public eye and will go away, but there will always be science, engineering, and technology, and there will always be, always be mathematics. But you know what she was really saying? STEM is recession proof. Meaning, if you have a career in STEM, you will always have a job. Just like if you have a career in making liquor, if you have a career (laughs) in making makeup, you will always have a job. (laughs) Because I guarantee you, no matter how hard it gets, someone's going to buy some vodka and a woman is always going to have her favorite shade of lipstick. Indeed, indeed. And Katherine Johnson, what what an amazing woman. And and her along with the other yep. hidden figures, yep. right, for those who have seen the film. And, and it was so exciting that there was a film made to bring them to light. Bring them to light. Because we would have never known, or no. maybe some would have known that we're really history buffs. But, you know, to bring that to the big screen was really major. Really major. So... I want to go with the woman that was unbossed and unbought. Mm. And you all know who that is. Sister, sister. Hello, that is Shirley Chisholm. Mm-mm. And in 1968, she became the first black woman elected to the United States Congress, representing New York's 12th Congressional District. And she served seven terms from 1969 to 1983. And in 1971, she began exploring her candidacy for president of the United States and formally announced her presidential bid on January 25th, 1972. Go ahead, sister. So when we, you know, someone, you know, we, we've made history this past year with Kamala Harris as the first female black vice president of the United States. And I, you know, someone like Shirley, Shirley Chisholm, who has paved the way. Paved the way. Is, is, is amazing and remarkable. And she remains one of the most prevalent historical figures in history. I would say, I would say yes, yes, and yes. Indeed. <laughs> so we all know that, well, you know, that I love to travel. I, I, I love being in airplanes, you know, international travel. I love it, love it, love it. So the woman that I want to bring up, it ain't Amelia Earhart. It is the first black woman to ever earn a pilot's license. And that is Bessie Coleman. So she is recognized as a pioneer for women in aviation, not Amelia Earhart, correct, Bessie. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the first black woman to earn a pilot's license and staged actually a public flight in the United States. But you know what? Her training actually happened in France because every single flying school here in the U.S. denied her entry. And that's probably a whole nother episode we can talk about, but we'll keep going. So what she did 
un, un, like she's unstoppable. She taught herself French, flew herself to France, and earned a license from France's famous Caudron Brothers School of Aviation in seven months. She specialized in stunt flying, aerial tricks, and parachuting. You know, that whole thing, that determination. You know, there's a there's a quote by Rumi that says, you know, you can think about life. There's people who can do it with you. They'll travel with you. But you are the only one who has to walk the walk. You know, if you want to do something, do it, right? Have that determination. And Bessie is a great example of that. No, absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you went more into Bessie because I believe we talked about her during our Black History Month. Yes, we did. We touched on her. We touched on her because she was someone that we'd not heard about. I heard about her through my godson who was studying uh, uh, for Black History Month. He had a church um, project that he needed to work on. And and that was one figure that I found out through him who's seven. So that's amazing. But I think that these are figures that we have to introduce to our young girls, right? Think of the determination of Bessie Coleman that she... They wouldn't do it for her here in the U.S. They wouldn't teach her. They didn't want to teach her. She was black. They didn't want to do it. So she went to France, learned French. Taught herself French. Okay, Hello, I can. Hello. Bonjour. That's bon- all you get. That's all you get for Bonjour. me. Right. So, so she was able to do that, and that is remarkable. That just goes to show you, like you said, no one. You know, you walk this path alone, right? And it's what you do with this path. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I really, 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 really love is that you know, at the end of the day, part of what Erica and I are all about and have been for a very long time is just like, how can young girls have the ambition and courage to pursue dreams that they cannot even see. And I want that to just sit with everybody for a minute. I'm going to do a pregnant pause to let that land on everyone. If our young people can't see us in careers, verticals, industries, doing things, and learn about our struggle to get there, they will never know that that is not, that isn't even an option. No. You know, and I and I think that I think we all have a responsibility because we ain't all going to live forever. Right. And what's the legacy you want to leave? I will never have children. Right. And so there will be not another little event running around. And my legacy is not going to be my homes, the cars, you know, my shoe collection, you know, <laughs> or my clothes. My legacy is going to be the trailblazers that I've helped create and left behind me. So when I'm gone, our passion doesn't stop. No, you know, agreed. the world that we live in, that we all say we all want to live in, doesn't stop with me. It continues for all the little lives that I've touched, you know, through this podcast, through the mentoring that I do, through the boards that I sit on. You know, my goal in life is to every person who crosses my path is to leave them better than I found them. Mm-hmm. So what is your purpose? Indeed. What Indeed. is your legacy going to be? I agree. Sorry, that's a whole no, no, different, no. That's a I, whole different one. And I think one. I'm going to continue a tangent for like 30 more seconds okay. because, you know, you and I both sit on diversity and inclusion organizations within our respective organizations. And you touched upon something that I, you know, I truly, truly believe in. And I mentioned once to in a, in a meeting that I was in, because of course, the group that I belong to, although it is a diversity and inclusion group, it, it is it is diverse. I mean, I don't even although it's it's just diverse. But one of the things that we talked about was being able to see the possibility. Mm. So when there is someone who looks like me, 
looking at someone like me, <laughs> right? they see the possibility. Yep. Does that mean that you're going to get a job at this particular place? No, but you see the possibility. So when we see someone like Kamala Harris, the first black female vice president of the United States, many young girls see the possibility. Yep. And I think that's what this is about. And it's about leaving that legacy and understanding what legacy you want to leave. And it doesn't have to be on a huge level. Right. It just has to make an impact in someone's life. I mean, wouldn't you say that? I would say that's absolutely it. And the thing is, you know, in our respective organizations, we, we're we there to make it better for us, right? you know, to be selfish, of right? Course, and the other people that work with us. But... I'm going to take that a step further. My purpose is I want black women, young black girls to see myself in this leadership and management at, you know, the largest company on the planet, right? To know that that's possible. But not only do I want them to see that as possible, well, when they get here, Mm-hmm. It's going to be an environment where they can thrive, where they feel valued, where they are seen and they are heard and they can be successful. So why bring people into an organization that is just going to chew them up and spit them out? Right. You want them to come to the organization, all that talent, all that, quote unquote, diversity, all that different experience and make a difference within your organization to bring different thoughts and experiences to the table when you're creating products you know when you're creating new services right you want that you just don't want to get the numbers and I just want to say I I posted this on my Facebook page it's just like you know when you when you count the when you start saying black people in your organization don't just use them as a token and say we got black people pay them for what they're worth and make them and make them part of your strategy for success because with without them you will not be successful sorry that's i'm on my no 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 i i i'm totally agreeing i think that that's what this is about so i'm gonna go back okay i'm gonna go back to to one other person okay i wanted to highlight so patricia roberts harris I don't know how many of you have heard of her, but I have heard of her, and um, she is an she was an amazing woman. She was the first African American woman to serve in the United States cabinet, and the first to enter the line of succession to the presidency. Think about that. Oh wow! She mm. previously served as a United States ambassador to Luxembourg under President Lyndon B. Johnson, and was the first African American woman to represent the United States as an ambassador. Nice. She was also the first black American woman to be dean of a law school and the first to sit on a Fortune 500 company's board of directors. A lot of first on first on first. First on first. Amazing woman. You know what? The, you know, Kamala Harris mom told her, right, you may be the first, but you will not be the last. Indeed. You will not be the last. All right. So uh, I'm going to raise up uh, a black woman that. I found out about through quotes to inspire me, right? Mm. Because you all know this girl did not wake up to be mediocre. But anyway, um, so her name is Audre Lorde. And I don't know if you've heard about her, but, you know, she was a female poet in the 70s, black lesbian. um, And she had a collection called From a Land Where Other People Live. She was nominated for a National Book Award and she on her by herself increased America's awareness of intersectionality a word that came popular in the you know 2000s right and Mm -hmm. you know but but she was the one that brought it forward and basically it was her her view and coverage of race gender and class that that can put particular groups at a disadvantage 
and lead to discrimination. We all know that, right? Mm-hmm. So her identity shaped her speeches and her writings about the struggles of women, black people, and the LGBTQIA, and I think there's other ones there, mm-hmm. uh, community. Right, right. Wow. Wow. Yeah, deep, deep, deep. That is very deep. So you mentioned that, you know, so it's, what are some of her poems that have really, like, for those, because I've not heard of her before. So, um, there, I'm going to come to, I'm going to come back to that at the very okay. end, because it's, I've, I've kind of mentioned some of her musings okay. throughout all of our episodes, but I'll bring that up. But okay. I wanted to talk about one other person real quick, yep. um, who is near and dear to my heart, because we all know about Sister April Ryan, right? <laughs> we all know about her. And when we think about black reporters covering the White House, we immediately go to her. But she was not the first. Mm. A role that not only is by, held by a woman or a black woman covering the White House, but in the 1940s, there was a woman. Her name was Alice Dunningham. And she was mostly ignored by White House in White House news conferences until John F. Kennedy became president. That's when Jet Magazine, oh, it's no longer here, but I love it, right? Jet Magazine, back in 1961, ran a headline, Kennedy in, Negro reporter gets first answer in two years. So let's talk a little bit about Alice. Um, she was born in 1906, Royal Kentucky. Ooh, that was hard, right? Wow. Um, she was the daughter of a tenant farmer and a laundress. You know, she began writing columns at the age of 13, age of 13. She she knew what she kind of wanted to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and she pursued it. And she had parents that didn't squash that. Right. They let her do her thing. So anyway, um, she graduated from Kentucky State University and taught there for 18 years before moving to Washington, D.C., In 1947, she became chief of the Associated Negro Press and the first African-American woman accredited to cover the White House. You know what? Now, let me tell you what perseverance and determination is. This wasn't glamorous for her, but it was her passion. It's Mm -hmm. something that she wanted to do. Even at the height of her career in Washington, she still had to pawn her watch every Saturday night so that she could have enough money to eat until her wow. paycheck on Monday. After pawning her watch, she headed home to her one room, one room basement apartment in Washington DC's uh, section called Brooklyn, which is not, <laughs> That's which, interesting. It, yeah, right, right. Where she shoveled coal for the building just so she could get a break on rent. I'm just, just, yeah. just think about that. Just, just think about that. 1906 born in rural, when we all know what that means, no plumbing, no electricity, that's just rough, right? Two parents, hardworking parents that encourage her to write, continue her writings. She went to school, you know, struggled through all that. And at the height, the epitome of her career, she's still pawning her watch to eat until she can be paid that Monday. I mean, I'm just, you know, people, when you talk about having it rough, right? It's having it rough and then having your circumstances define who you are. And then there's having it rough and having your circumstances be the catalyst to the person that you know that you can be. And I'm just, you know, and so let me just, let me just leave you this with this, right? So she wrote her autobiography in 19, in I think 1974, and it's titled, 
um, a black woman's experience from schoolhouse to White House. Mm. You all, Amazon.com, Google, say it. It's a good read, right? And in the preface of the book, oh man, I'm going to, okay, I won't cry because you know I'm going to cry. Drama. So in the preface <laughs> of the book, this is what she writes. It is my fondest hope that the story of my life and work will encourage more writers to use their talents as a moving force in the forward march of progress and that their efforts will soon result in giving Americans the kind of nation that those of my generation mm-hmm. so longed, hoped, and worked for. Planting a seed. Planting a When you talk about planting a seed, mm-hmm. that she will yeah. never, she ever, she will never eat the fruit, right. never see the flower. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you know, people, that's just deep. So, you know, pick up the book and just, you know, it's not about you, right? It is about, it is, it's, it's not about your struggles and things that, you know, you're going through. You never know what anyone else is going through when you meet them. You never know what their day has been like or what their life has been like when you cross their path. And the same goes for you. They don't know about you, but don't give up. Right. On on your hopes and dreams, just because you you poor, you don't got money. Right. You know, you you don't have, you know, uh, like high speed, super high speed Wi-Fi, whatever. That is not an excuse not to be your best. What? The best version of yourself. Oh, indeed. And your circumstances don't define you. Can you. Rise, you can rise above. Absolutely. Them. I mean, you know, we, when I think about how I grew up, I mean, we think about how we grew up, you know, I, I didn't have it nearly near near at all as tough, but there were challenges. But challenges are what? What do they say? You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. stronger yeah. You know, what iron? What is it? Iron sharpens iron. I don't know. Well, whatever. whatever. All these different things. Okay. But anyway, it just make it makes you stronger. So I, I just want to. There's one other woman that I want to bring up. And being in the financial services industry, I was really. Um, just amazed when I read about her because I didn't know about her. And I think that, you know, I mean, I saw Wolf of Wall Street (laughs) and Wall Street's tough. Wall Street is tough. And imagine a woman being in Wall Street and Wall Street's tough. And Gail Panky Albert was the first African-American female to hold a seat in the New York Stock Exchange in 1971. I'm sorry, 1981. So a little bit about her. When she started her career on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange in 1971, there were only four or five women around. And she was able to shatter the glass ceiling that many women ran into on their way to the top. Mm. And she became one of the very few female African-Americans, as I mentioned, to hold a seat, a coveted seat on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Now, that is absolutely amazing. Amazeballs. And she, you know, I definitely am going to read more about her because I just think that in a very male, white male dominated world, she was able to make a name for herself, work hard and succeed. And I just think that that is, I mean, totally amazing. Totally amazing. That That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so... I'm going to drop a little, a little ism on you all. Um, so you would ask me, Erica, you know, what one of some of the things that, um, you know, Audrey had said that really resonated with me. And this is the, and this is the one, you know, um, your silence will not protect you. 
Mm. You know, and and you and I have been talking, for, you know, for, we've been friends forever, but there's certain things that are going on. And, you know, a lot of us in our corporate lives and then work situations have been suffering in silence, not speaking up for yourself when you're wronged by people or whatever, but know that your silence won't protect you anyone that's working with you and anyone that's coming through the door behind you. Mm-hmm. And that, that quote by her really, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was down. I wasn't in good place. I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I mm-hmm. refuse to stay silent. And that was the quote that kicked off, you know, a whole bunch of changes in my career for the better. Mm-hmm. Because if I would have sat and stayed silent, I would have not gotten the opportunity that I, I've just been presented with. I've, I would have not got the opportunity to be taken to that next level if I sat silent. If I sat silent, no, you know, it's never going to protect you. You or no one else. No, so anyway, okay. no, no, thank you. And thank you for, for, for bringing that up. And I think that that's, a, that's very, very, very pertinent. Because in order for us to succeed, we have to speak our truth. And sometimes speaking our truth is not, no, you know, not everyone's going to like what we say, but we have to speak our truth and we have to stay true to our values. And we have to, I'm a big proponent on maintaining my self-respect. Absolutely. And if I can't maintain my self-respect, there's a problem. Right. That I need to resolve. That's right. So, sorry. We're another tangent. All right. Okay. This is good. Who, you got one more? Um, You know what? I know you have tons. Okay. Let's do one more and then let's, let's. Let's let's close it out. Okay, 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 okay. All right. So, this is a good one to to kind of end out um, our show with today. And remember, a revo- revolution is not a one time event. Not a one time event. And the next woman I'm going to raise raise a glass to, <laughs> raise the spotlight to. Her name is Claudette Colvin. Now we all know about Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. Not giving up her seat. But truth be told, it was literally a 15-year-old 10 months earlier than Rosa who stood her ground and said, but I ain't going nowhere. No. I'm not getting up. I've read about her. Right? So, call that. In 1955, March of 1955, whoa, which is like wow. really great, right? Because we're talking about, okay, March yeah. of 1955, just 15 years old, she was arrested for violating an ordinance in Montgomery, Alabama that required segregation on city buses. And she went to jail. Mm. She went to jail without an opportunity to call her family. Wow. Oh, my God. She wasn't able to call her family. You know, she, um, Claudette and other women, she, she challenged the law in court. But, you know, it was the black civil rights leaders pointing to her circumstances and her personal life you know, thought that Parks, they knew about Colvin, but mm-hmm. they determined, they thought Parks would be a better story to tell. Wow. You, I mean, back in the, I'm, I'm just, okay, I'm just, okay. Just, uh, that's just, just we, really, it's just, just sick. Yeah, it just, just gets deep there, right? But so, all right, she gave up her, she didn't give up her seat. She stood her ground, but because she didn't look right on paper, mm. we didn't hear about her. We heard about Rosa. So, um, and the the NAACP the, at that time thought that Rosa would be, you know, a better icon, quote mm-hmm. unquote, for the movement. So fast forward. This is what Claudette said, and I and I love it. Being dragged off that bus 
was worth it just to see Barack Obama become president. Wow. And there's a book out there. Another one I'm going to I'm going to ask you all to read uh, library or purchase from Amazon.com. You know, it came out in 2017 and it's called Still I Rise. Mm. And she closes it out by saying there's so many others who gave their lives and didn't get to see it. Didn't get to see Obama become president, right? And she thanked God for letting her see it. You know, and she was, you know, too tired to give up her seat. You know, she refused a white person, white passenger. And and she was just like, I'm not doing it. Right? right? Y'all, not today. She was you got tired. The, she was tired. Oh, that was like, you got the wrong one yeah, today. She's today, right? And yeah. so, you know, at the at the at the end of it all, everyone, you know, there's tons of women, you know, that are riddled throughout our history that we don't know about that are not brought to light because what? They may not have the right story. They may not have looked good on paper. They may not have been the right person for, you know, to represent a movement. Um, and so do some research, find out, you know, about a little bit more about Bessie, a little bit more about Alice, a little bit more about Claudette, you know, and other women there's, you know, Wilma Rudolph. I mean, there's tons, you know, we have Missy Copeland who, you know, you may see on a couple of commercials out there, but she's a trailblazer too. Mm -hmm. She is, you know, and, and just think about, think about all the black women, specifically black women who use their black girl magic back in the day so that we can be better than they had it. Mm-hmm. We still got some work to do, right? But just think about the people who, who knew they would never meet you, but wanted it better for you. Oh, that's deep. And it's true. And it is very true. And we have trailblazers of the past. We have trailblazers of the present. And there will be trailblazers in the future. But I want to say that because of these women that we talked about today, there was a seed that was planted one that had inspired a multitude of women to follow in their footsteps. Women who taught us not to be afraid, to follow our path, to be authentic, and to work hard for our goals. So what do we need to do? We, as Yvette said earlier, we need to plant the seeds that will inspire future generations. We will plant the seeds that we will never get to see the harvest, but future generations will benefit. So what's the end game? It's up to us. And I know we can do it. And make herstory. <laughs> yes. Herstory. Okay. All right. That is herstory. Herstory. We can do it, ladies. All of us out there. We have the magic. I always say it, right? Your crown has been bought and paid for. All you got to do is put it on. So put on those crowns, ladies. And let's make some herstory. Thank you all for listening. And that's our show. Any samples of media remain the property of their owners. Opinions expressed reflect the individual's point of view, not the Melanin Pearls podcast. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes and Spotify. If there's a topic you would like for us to cover, let us know by visiting www.melaninpearls.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, We encourage you to visualize your best self.